After surviving brain cancer that put an end to his dreams of becoming a concert pianist, our next guest rerouted his fiery passion and became a global leading cancer advocate for his generation by igniting conversations and activating others through the simplicity of radio. Matthew Zachary, CEO of Offscript Media, joins us to discuss his journey of building an unshakable community, amplifying voices, and promoting health equity and patient advocacy through the power of storytelling. Additionally, Matthew discusses his original nonprofit, Stupid Cancer, and how he created the young adult cancer movement, advocating for age-appropriate equity and dignity for millions worldwide. Join us for this moving and powerful conversation as Matthew continues his march to improve the quality of life for patients and caregivers in oncology and rare disease. Let's go. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Matthew, welcome to our podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Really excited to dig into some cool stuff. As am I, and as a 25-year cancer survivor, after you were told that you had six months to live, which then led you to becoming a national leading voice and ultimate advocate for young adult cancer patients, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. A conversation that's going to be extremely powerful and transformative for many tuning in. But before we kick things off, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And lastly, please visit the bottom of the episode notes to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Clubhouse in order to further the conversations occurring on this podcast. All right, Matthew, it's almost time for our community to learn more about your journey and how your team at Offscript Media is building community ending isolation, amplifying voice, and improving quality of life for patients and caregivers in oncology and rare disease. But first, what's that one piece of advice you would give to others who are passionate about reimagining the health of our world? I used to say, don't take any shit from anyone, which is what Billy Joel says every time he ends a concert, but I've amended it to try not to take any shit from anyone because oftentimes it's not entirely possible to not take shit from someone. Great call. Okay, this is the first on the podcast. Yeah, you can certainly not take any shit, but it's going to happen from time to time. Real talk, right? Like, it's going to happen. Well, there's a George Carlin bit from where he micro-sized the Ten Commandments to Two Commandments because that's what George Carlin would do. Rest in peace, George Carlin. And at the end of the day, one of the commandments was try to be honest and faithful. That was it. And then the other one was like, uh, don't kill anyone or try not to kill anyone. So he just really euphemize the best way to do your best when you're kind of given advice. I love it. Well, you know what? That's a great piece of advice, Matthew. One that I think, uh, especially in healthcare, especially a very tough and complex industry, both for the providers, the payers, the industry folks that are trying to move the industry forward. But then of course, and we're going to dive into this today, Matthew, the patients, right? I mean, my goodness, talk about the shit that they have to put up with at times, right? So we're going to dive into all of that after we get back from thanking our community champion sponsor. 
Located in Denver, Colorado's nationally ranked River North District, Catalyst is a healthcare innovation campus that brings together stakeholders from across the industry to accelerate innovation and drive real, lasting change our nation desperately needs. From established organizations to startups, from accelerators to advocacy organizations, and from medical schools to global companies, everyone at Catalyst works side-by-side to create, develop, refine, and bring to market cutting-edge innovations that will fundamentally transform healthcare as we know it. With industry leaders like Medical Group Management Association, Olive, Medical Solutions, UC Health, Cirrus MD, and many others calling Catalyst home, along with innovative pioneers visiting from across the nation, Catalyst continually fosters their foundational belief that collaboration and partnerships will move the healthcare industry forward. To virtually tour Catalyst and claim your space on campus or host an upcoming event, visit CatalystHealthTech.com or visit the top of the episode notes and click on their link. All right, we are back with Matthew Zachary, CEO of Offscript Media. Matthew, we have a lot to cover today. I have been waiting for this conversation. Can I call you an OG? Is that appropriate? I think we're old enough to be able to use the term OG. But if you're under 30, I think it means different things, but yes. Fair. We're old enough, but still kind of cool enough that we can use it, I think, right? I think we can. Yeah. So I can barely say woke. Well, well, now, careful. We might have to edit that out. So I'll just... (laughs) (laughs) But you are one of the OGs, one of the originals, turning podcasts on in healthcare. Unbelievable. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about your journey. And then, of course, we're going to spend a lot of time on your current venture, Offscript Media. What's happening there? How are you pushing things forward in this industry? And, of course, we're going to turn the table on you, how we can be helping you out, then where we can find you online. But for now, give us a little bit of that journey, Matthew, some real talk. I know 25 years living as a survivor, told that you only had six months to live. Wow. Take us there, then work us into where you are today. I can't wait to hear this journey. I typically just like to let listeners know that I'm insanely and potentially unnecessarily Googleable. I'm kind of the only Matthew Zachary, if you search for this, another guy that writes porn books, not me, but he's like the 14th page of Google. So the first 13, I think I own them. But the Dime Store Tour, for people listening that aren't familiar with my work or myself is, yes, I was a concert pianist, film composer, trained to go to USC film school and become the next John Williams. That was my goal at university in my early 20s. Lost the use of my left hand over the course of six months, went misdiagnosed, ultimately brain cancer. Congratulations. You'll never play again. You'll be dead in six months. I'm paraphrasing, but that's kind of the, that's the press release. That's the shock jock moment. That's the clickbait. Turns out I did survive. I couldn't play piano anymore, so I had to cancel my grad school plans. And plan B became plan A, which at the time was fixing Macintosh computers because that's what geeks did in the 90s. You fixed all the Macintosh computers. And I got a job in an agency fixing their Macintosh computers, which is where I learned Cork Express, Macromedia Flash, Adobe PDF, ISDN lines, networking, Ethernet stuff, and spent a decade building up an entire universe in the metaphorical Madison Avenue universe. And along the way, I rehabbed myself to play piano again, but it was too late to be a concert pianist. But I had met somebody, my first peer, the idea that I wasn't alone. Spent seven years thinking I'm the only kid that ever had cancer in college, literally. Met this guy named Craig, happened to be on the board of the most prestigious patient advocate organization in the universe called the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. Down the rabbit hole I went, and I was asked 
how would you like to be a cancer advocate? To which I responded, the fuck is a cancer advocate? This was 2003. You didn't put those words together back then. And that was history. I quit my entire career to learn about what I could do to make things suck less for the next me, which is my definition of advocacy. Many people have their own definitions of that word. So I joined Livestrong at its heyday and volunteered for them and jumped on the rabbit hole of policy and learning what patient education meant at the time and what pharma was up to. Started a nonprofit called Stupid Cancer because reasons. And I wanted to be impolite. I was sick and tired of wristbands, ribbons, coffee cups, Hallmark cards, you'll be fine, and pictures of people dying everywhere, which wasn't really helping the national conversation on, am I dying? Will I die? What's going to happen? So I really believed that there was an opportunity at that time to galvanize us, Gen X. I say us like because you're Gen X, not the proverbial, because your listeners may not be Gen X. If they are, thank you for being Gen X. But the entire purpose was to galvanize a movement, build a community that did not exist of millions of Americans in the Gen X world who were sick and tired of cancer being for kids and old people. Like, where's our voice? Where's our say? What do we do as a generation? And I think the one defining point that threw threads to today's conversation with you is that someone gave me a microphone. I'm a radio guy. I love NPR. I've been doing this my whole life. They gave me a mic and said, how would you like to host a talk radio show on the interweb? I'm like, what the hell is a talk radio show on the interweb? This is like AOL CD days in 2005 and six. There was like DSL, which was like the greatest scam of all time. And sure enough, I started <laughs> producing a radio show on the interweb in May of 2007 called The Stupid Cancer Show. It was the first show of its kind. We didn't call it podcast. Adam Curry kind of did his thing, but it really wasn't a podcast quite yet. And because it was the first thing, like everyone glommed onto it. I booked 52 shows in three weeks. The show was live. Hey, Gen Xers, remember live when you couldn't watch Friends for 30 more years because you missed the episode when you were in college? Live, which made it even more interesting. It was MySpace. There was nothing there. The framework for which all this fomented is irreplicable. Moment in time, time capsule. And that set me off. And that's how that got started. Where do I begin with everything that you just shared? Wow, Matthew. Powerful. First of all, I'm going to forgive you on the USC part. Go Stanford. I know. I'm sorry. I'm, uh, I know. I, know. I was we'll, going for film, not sports. So. I get it. I, and I went for sports, not school. But anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let's go back to that, though. I want to go there first, Matthew. And again, tough conversation, but I want to have it because I know you're here to do that with us. What's it like? Here you are, prime of your life. You're training to be a pianist. What's it like to get that news? Oh, you're going to be dead in six months. How do you even handle that? What does that even look like? feel like I'm telling someone else's story at this point, a quarter century later. But as I remember it to be, I didn't believe it. I was in a wonderful state of invincibility, which you're supposed to be when you're 21, which is why kids today still jump off roofs and do stupid things. Like that's your job to be stupid at 21. Enjoy the time you have to be stupid. And it just never occurred to me that I could die. This idea of mortality, it can't be that. It's a speed bump. So that basically that self-defense of ignorance came in very handy. And I don't think it really hit me until I realized I couldn't play anymore. When I had to call USC and proverbially get the deposit back that I would not be going to grad school, 
my questions to the doctors at the time, I just want to play. Can we get this over with so I can just go play piano again? And bedside manner is pretty shitty today on average anyway. Amplify that by how many factorials <laughs> back a quarter century. Really wasn't any notion that I was a human being. I was a data point. Before there was data, I was a biology point. I was a number. So this idea of like, oh, you'll be fine. Here's a social worker. Oh, I get it. You're not 80. We should talk to you like a person. Oh, you're a pianist. Maybe we should worry about your rehab. None of that existed. We didn't think to know it could exist. So you're just kind of middled by. And for me, just having this ignorant sense of, okay, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. That was where I landed and I lived. And I, you just kind of become flotsam. There's so little you can control in those moments. The only thing I could control was the one thing I couldn't do, which is play piano. Wow. Powerful. And also, Matthew mentioned, and I bet you there was a lot of uh, deer in headlights when you launched Stupid Cancer, when you're like, I'm tired of ribbons. I'm tired of wristbands. I'm tired of just like, oh, you know, these feel good campaigns, right? Let's, I'm going to go and walk around a, a racetrack for a few miles, right? You want to bring that edge. You want to get pissed off. Healthcare's not used to that, Matthew. We're status quo, right? We've never done that. We have to play within, we have to color within the lines, right? We have to continue to play by the same playbook. Matthew, that's radical. You can't do that. Did you get a lot of pushback when you first had these ideas to launch this kind of iconoclast type of brand and voice? I mean, I had three key influencers that I leaned on in deciding how to build this brand because I really put a lot of thought into, I'm not going to slap dash as 501c3 together and put this stuff. It was really well thought out. It was intentional. And one of them was Steve Jobs, who's one of his many infamous quotes is never give someone what they want, give them what they didn't know they needed. The second was a book by Jean-Marie Drew, the founder of TBWH Hyatt Day called Disruption, which talked all about how you create anti-expectation in status quo. And the third was a woman named Carol Cohn who invented cause marketing. And between the three of them, I mean, I didn't talk to Steve Jobs, but I talked to Chai Day and I talked to Carol Cohn. I tried to figure out what was polite enough to get funded, but edgy enough to disrupt the system back when that word really meant something because cancer was all happy, fun ball, ribbons and wristbands and crap. Livestrong really tried, but they were corporate and they really weren't very inclusionary because I'm not athletic. Case that you went to a school for sports and not school, and I went to a school for music and not sports. The fundamental premise of how do you disrupt cancer was that no one was pissed anymore. And it's okay to be angry. It's not great to stay angry. But the idea of a brand promise for a cancer community had never been done before, especially if you're targeting a generation that is very baked in the way it thinks and breathes and lives compared to its successors and predators. So the idea of permission to be pissed, but a channel to make a difference for someone just like you was the fundamental premise behind Stupid Cancer. And it was so cathartic to launch it on January 1st, 2007 with a website I built by hand. And within a week, the New York Times did a profile on this. I have no idea how they found it. It was the first year the Times had embedded hyperlinks on the internet, really dating this conversation back. 50,000 people clicked on this crappy, shitty website that I built from scratch in like HTML 3.0 or whatever. Java wasn't even a thing yet. Fire, what's that Adobe thing that you make your own website? Nothing existed. And I had a MySpace page. <laughs> I think that was it. 
And all of a sudden, we woke the beast because people didn't realize it was possible to be okay with being angry about, it's all like, you'll be okay. Let's pet the dog. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Here's the wristband. And it did exactly what I hoped it did, but beyond the pale of any expectation, because it just became this massive juggernaut. And it was ranked a Time Magazine Best 50 website that August. I mean, we were the only charity and we beat LinkedIn and Yelp. It's still there. You can Google like stupid cancer Time Magazine cover and the article's still there. So 2007 was the most rewarding year for me. I mean, I met my wife. We got married in 05, like different rewarding. But the fact that I was able to A, just be alive 10 years later for some God knows how reason and create what I wished that I had and launched the first ever young adult cancer patient movement off the heels of the work that tons of other people have done before me was the greatest gift, the greatest reward. It wasn't like, oh, I can die now. It was addictive. I want more. What else can I do? And of course, in case your wife is tuning in, it was also really rewarding to meet your wife that you're correct. Yeah. Meeting my wife and marrying my wife. Yes. Greatest gifts next to the birth (laughs) of my children. But yes, starting stupid cancer. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. We have to recoil back and say, I love you, honey. (laughs) I love it. So this sets the stage a bit. Stupid cancer still around. You were the founder of it. 2007, now strategic advisor. You stepped down as CEO in 2019. We're going to talk a little bit about what's been happening ever since with Offscript Media. But before we go there, Matthew, what was that like? I mean, you were now have one of the most downloaded and first healthcare podcasts. Again, you weren't even calling it a podcast quite yet then, but one of the most downloaded, listened to podcasts. You had incredible listener following guests, powerful. What was all of it like building that movement? And what did you experience along the way? It was a combination of falling with style, Buzz Lightyear, practice with, we got nothing to lose because it was gaining momentum every day. We had a million listens within one year and we didn't even know what that meant. What the hell's a listen? <laughs> like radio has listeners. What's a listen? Just these new terms were coming out. There wasn't even like, I mean, iHeartRadio didn't exist. The only thing for podcasting was iTunes. There was no Spotify. There was nothing. We called it the Stupid Cancer Show, not the Stupid Cancer Podcast. And every week, hundreds of people would join us in this live chat. And when Facebook started with the Obama campaign, we're like, what's Facebook? And we just started the group with Facebook and people were flocking there before it became the shit show that it is today. So we didn't have any idea. And I really mean we, there was, we had tremendous volunteer. I didn't have an employee until 2010. So it took three years to have an employee. But the volunteers were all there because people saw the big picture for this and they all felt like they were being part of building something together. So when we look at our metrics and like, how are we doing show 450? Where the hell is this at? Live every Monday, eventually pre-taped. But how the hell do we have 4 million down? This was insane, but there was no precedent. It wasn't like we're comparing ourselves. We just kept doing it and following and letting the community tell us what it needed. It was very much reactionary and less proactionary. I made words up, right? So we listened. What can we do? What doesn't exist? Tell us, tell stupid cancer, tell the leadership what it is we can do. And we started the first cancer store and sold wristbands with the middle finger on them that was not polite. We created shirts that said, ovaries are overrated right? Because I don't have any and like, who needs them? Whatever. Really aggressive, disruptive 
pop culture, humor filled ways to make this less serious from a superficial acceptance and community building value, but to not take the seriousness away from the fact that you could actually be dying and need real help. Well, as somebody that's now been podcasting for about two years now, and as a lot has changed since I started, as one of our forefathers, I guess, Matthew, Podfather. thank you for- Podfather. <laughs> Podfather. Podfather it is. Someone said that to me last week. I'm going to own it. I'll go, take it. Hey, plagiarism is a form of flattery, so go with it. Podfather it is. But man, you have really set the stage for a lot of us. And FYI, in case you don't know, uh, 4 million listens, that's a good number, Matthew, just so you know. For 2014? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> like, remember, remember 2014? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So let's springboard into current day. So again, your founder is still an advisor with stupid cancer and now a little over two years off script media, off to the races, going after it hard. A lot of great things happening there. Give us that elevator pitch. What is off script media? What's the good trouble you guys are causing today? Well, I, the elevator pitch comes a little after the, how the hell did I leave stupid cancer? That's a whole other story. But I think for the sake of your listeners, I wrote a very long potentially too long-winded LinkedIn stepping down and didn't expect 87,000 people to read it and comment on it. I felt like Sally Field, you like me, you really like me. It was the exit around the world and no one could understand what the hell was going to happen. And I took all of that momentum and I went to my colleagues and my friends and I said, what do you think I should do next? Literally, you know what I can do. You know what I don't like to do. What should I do? And they all basically said the same thing. Stay behind the microphone somehow and make more use behind the microphone. They all said that. And it was almost odd that they didn't even know they were all saying the same thing, but we got to keep you behind the microphone. So I took a sabbatical and I spent all this time figuring out what is missing, what company, what's the magic enterprise that does not exist? How do I invent something that doesn't exist? That's what I love to do the most. What doesn't exist? Not even competing. Just make a relevancy that isn't even a thing in anyone's eye. And as life got more complicated, this is pre-pandemic, shit's too complicated. How do we return to simplicity? What is the simplest solution to conversation? It's your voice. And now that anyone and everyone with a dollar and a dream can put a mic in front of their face and talk to a cloud and think someone gives a shit, it just became too easy to call yourself I'm a blogger. I'm a social media influencer. I'm a guru. All this fucking bullshit, right? I wanted to build a company that was akin to the potential power of NPR with the commoditized social impact of crooked media around health and healthcare, patient voice, education, national public health narratives, social justice that didn't exist. And no social media, just Media. Remember just the word media. I could give a shit about Twitter. Who cares about Instagram, TikTok, Yik Yak? I don't care. This is Gen Xer rebellion against social media. I just want to hear somebody that sounds like me. People just want to hear something that sounds like them. People still want to be given permission to be pissed. And that's gone. And radio is entertainment. Television and webinars are for the average Joe. You don't have to be talented to have a TV show. You just have to be watchable. And that's very different. Why are there only six DJs that I remember growing up in my life when there were 3,000 DJs growing up in my life? Why are there only four VJs? 
from MTV that I remember. Because it's all about entertainment. And when you boil down basic human experience to content, the voice is the most powerful thing we possibly have. So that was the idea. I'm creating an audio company, a podcast network that did all the things a nonprofit can't do because of scale and revenue. And none of the things that pharma or bio would ever do because they can't say fuck. On top of the fact that these are all the things that other media companies have no interest in because no one sees the consumer health universe as commoditizable, monetizable, and scalable at the media level. So all of that is precursor to the elevator pitch for Off Script Media, which is the largest national listenership of humans that give a shit about changing the system. Do people care? Do people want to tune in? You mentioned all oh, that social media and all that. I hear you loud and clear and you want to get to its most basic form. That's audio. Who wants to listen to this? Is it beyond the patient? Yes, of course. I want to hear somebody that I can get pissed off with, you know, like yourself, you mentioned earlier, cancer survivor, I'd be able to connect with others. But beyond that, right, because we got to think about, so you mentioned it, scale. Is there a big enough macro audience beyond just the patient that people also want to get pissed alongside and with you? I think the evidence to our business model would speak that that's a big yes. We have 16 million listeners across our network right now. And we launched a groundbreaking documentary history series this June called The Cancer Mavericks. It's the 50th anniversary of the National Cancer Act of 1971. So we wanted to do a people-focused story of how cancer advocacy was born. Where did it come from? How did we get from then to now? What did it take for me to be able to launch Stupid Cancer, for Livestrong to even be a thing that could be possible? How the word survivor even evolved? Where the research came from to decide that radical mastectomies shouldn't exist? And after only three episodes have dropped, 300,000 downloads after three episodes. And we're not even marketing it. We're going to binge it next spring and get 10 million people to listen to this and turn it into curriculum pedagogy. There is a natural desire to understand history. And in the vein of something cancer-related, it's content you never, ever hope to have to have to listen to. And yet, if you hear it and it sounds listenable, you're going to stick around. And that speaks to the stupid cancer show. Who wants to wake up one day? I can't wait to listen to that Katruda podcast from Merck. No one says these things. It's a supply-only market. So when you discover things that are entertaining and make it less serious and make it more valuable to you as a human being, if it's a qualitative show that's only meant for 300 people to listen to, in the rare disease space or the CLL space or the pancreatic cancer space, you do it for those people. But if you want the whole country to listen to something, you make it for the whole country. And that's perfectly fine, depending on your strategy. This is a very long answer to your very short question. But 16 million listeners a year, and we're a year and a half old now, across seven shows, one miniseries and one documentary, is very telling to the fact that we started from scratch with nothing. There is a clear desire in the consciousness of the American citizen that wants to consume content in healthcare. This is what they want. 
So let's go there. You team me up for the next question, actually, Matthew. What does this look like for future state, right? I'll preface it, you know, obviously, as you know, a little bit about background. I'm a serial entrepreneur in the healthcare industry, specifically in health technology. And I'll say it, I say it time and again, healthcare is is lagging quite a bit. And there's no reason why we can't be the leader in regards to technology. This is the biggest industry in the country. I don't see why we can't be. It's it's mind-blowing to me. We are lagging. We have a long way to go as an industry. But then I also think it includes mediums like this. Where are we going? What's the future look like, Matthew, for healthcare, for audio, for this kind of content? Where is the future heading for Offscript Media? Give us a little bit of that crystal ball. So the hill I'm dying on these days is that if you're a taxpaying American citizen, you should have the liberty, not the right, I don't like that word, to know shit exists that you can choose to do. Because when you enter the shit happens store of healthcare, I'm not talking like broken bones in primary care, I'm talking like rare disease, cancer, car accidents, whatever. Abe Simpson isn't there in his little smock to greet you in, in Walmart. Right? No one, hey, you go over aisle seven and paper. No, that doesn't exist. You are at the mercy of a demand-only system that you do not pre-research to get in there. So there is no consumer protection mechanisms at the federal level to guarantee protections that you are given your rights, your options, your choices up front and not at the mercy of a system that is not broken, a system that is working by design is how I like to phrase that. So my hill to die on is guaranteeing consumer protections at point of care and point of need. And what that looks like for me and the vision for where I see having 100 million people listening to our shows every month at scale by a year and a half from now is to activate those listeners for advocacy and policy work and give the C4s, the good lobby groups in this country, the funnel that they don't have to close the gaps on policies at the state and local levels. And these include gaps in fertility preservation, in Medicare reimbursement, in job discrimination, in mental health access, in copay assistance navigation. The basic framework of you being an American healthcare citizen, as Jane Sarazen Khan, one of my mentors, says all the time, means you're still a consumer. Who's protecting you? What element of the system should be protecting you so you have the right to know your choices, the liberty to know your choices, and the freedom to make those choices that are right for you? Whether you can afford them or not, it's a separate question. But policy is my hill to die on. And I don't mean wonky policy. I mean, if there's a drug waiting to get passed at the FDA, and if it doesn't get passed, the diagnostic won't be made aware to doctors to tell patients, we got to get that drug passed so the diagnostic gets approved as a billing code. So when you go to your doctor, that doctor just knows, here's the test you can take today to not get cancer. That's the power of creating the country's largest radio listenership to activate them and channel their pissed offness for policy good. That is so exciting. This is something that we've talked about amongst, you know, we have some mutual friends and that we've already mentioned previously to recording. Some of the things we've talked about ad nauseum is this notion around, and it's a high-level term, but this health literacy and the lack thereof in our country and everything that falls out of the lack thereof. And, and you hit on so many of them, Matthew. This is incredibly exciting. Do you think there's an appetite for it? More real talk. Do you think people even give a shit? 
do they? I mean, obviously you said you're espousing yes because of the numbers, but across this nation, do people care? I mean, a lot of people are just like, just tell me what I need, Dr. Matthew. Just tell me what I need, right? Do people truly care? I hope the answer is yes. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant because we only want you to care when you need to care. You can't tell somebody to care if they've never had something bad. What is it? You don't know if the sky's falling until something falls on you. But isn't that the orthodoxy that's baked into the system in the first place? Hey, as long as Dr. Matthew tells me, I'm good. You're rarely going to find somebody that wants to be a cancer advocate unless they've been affected by cancer. And that's the soup. That's the recipe. You don't go after the people who don't have something bad in their life yet. You find the people who want to be able to do something and make the next person's life suck less. And that's the activation. We're looking here at COVID. You know, the disinformation is ridiculous. But the disinformation and cancer is democratized because it's debunked by people who say, go fuck yourself. That's wrong. Peer-to-peer is now more valuable than clinical care, mental health, access, navigation, dignity, support. All the things are peer-to-peer now. It's democratized in a staggeringly good way that I only wish could have existed for me 25 years ago. And that's the part where we can get into health economics. If you spend the money in the right place, you'll make the money back and everyone will do better. Nader got the insurance companies to pay for the fucking seatbelts and everyone won, right? What is the version of that in 2020? Powerful. When we talk about it in technology and, and building innov- disruptive innovation, we have the innovators bell curve, right? Far left are the early adopters, far right are the laggards, right? There's a little bit of play on this as well, Matthew, right? Are we in this environment where, hey, if we can find those early adopters that want to make it suck a little less for the next person, activate them, to your point, create these peer networks, get them the information that they need to be able to make that change in their communities. That's where the secret sauce is. I mentioned I'm not a sports person, but I do know the Wayne Gretzky hockey puck metaphor. Shoot where the puck's going to be. I don't live in the moment. I live in 2027. What is this country going to be in seven years, in six years? Where are we going to be? And we're going to be in a place where the American consumer will be judging and deciding things with their vote and their wallet in a way they don't know they have the power to do by activating them in a way that they have not yet ever been activated through the simplicity of radio. I love that with the simplicity of radio. It's brilliant. Well, Matthew, I think you signed up for yourself to come back on the episode. We have plenty of more topics to discuss and unpack. This is unbelievable. But of course, we want to flip a script a little bit on you as well, Matthew. What is one problem, need, or question you guys have that our community can be helping you with? I invite your listeners to smoke the gateway drug that is Cancer Mavericks, our groundbreaking documentary that Ken Burns has been raving about, which was like the greatest thing. The Ken Burns (laughs) said great things about the piece. Cancer Mavericks, a history of cancer survivorship, Apple, Spotify, all the places, cancermavericks.com. Have a listen to what we have been able to produce as a company, as counterpoint to the absolutely low expectations of anything ever coming out of healthcare. And you will sign up immediately to believe that we are a new type of organization, a new type of media company. We're not Gimlet, we're not Ringer, we're not Spotify, we're not NPR. This is brand fucking new. So the invitation is to just have a listen to the series and get a sense that if we can impact 50 million Americans, if we become the Morgan Spurlock or the Michael Moore of film, of podcasting, but for the purpose of accelerating policies to protect American consumers from 
of a healthcare system fuckery? That's the ask. I love it. I love it. Well, of course, in order to be able to do that, we need to be able to get a hold of you. Where do we find you online? I am mostly LinkedIn. I could give a shit about anything else. I'd say listen to the show, but that doesn't tell you how to get in touch with me. I'm just Matthew Zachary on LinkedIn. I'm at Matthew Zachary on Twitter, but eh, it's Twitter. I just doom scroll for fun. That's kind of my purpose for it. Limited interactions on Twitter. But off script, no T, off script.com. Contact at offscript.com. Contact at matthewzachary.com. Very basic stuff. But honestly, the gateway drug is listen to the series. I don't pretend to be anyone that I'm not. Every one of my 170 shows on my podcast go out of patience. I got about half a million listeners a month. I'm very proud of everyone that listens to the show and tells everyone that it's okay to be pissed and we just got to do something good with it. So I encourage everyone listening, your loyalists, your BFFs, I feel like a doctor by saying, are podcasts right for you? But it's the new frontier. Going backwards in time is the future. Radio. We're going back to radio. Stop calling it podcasts. I hate that term. It's talk radio on demand for education, entertainment, therapy, and social justice. And what I would have given be able to list your MySpace page from when you started all of this good trouble you started causing back in 07. I met Tom once. I met Tom at a MySpace event in New York in 2006. And I'll never forget it. He looks like Tom. Unbelievable. That's Go so Tom. Cool. Where's Tom these Go, days? Yeah, no where's Tom? Where is Tom? You gotta have yeah, Tom on is... your show. There you go. You bring him on your show. I mean, you know Tom. I don't know Tom. You know Tom. <laughs> I don't know Tom so. anymore. <laughs> Dear Tom. Well, I love it. Of course, you can find the episode over in our free global online community at passionatepioneers.com. You can find all the click-through points to get a hold of Matthew and the team, again, over at passionatepioneers.com. Well, Matthew, again, you've signed up uh, for another episode, whether you like it or not. There's lots to still unpack, uncover, and discover with the incredible work that you're pushing forward. But we're going to wrap it up. We're going to wrap it up with a fill in the blank. I'm a passionate pioneer because... I try not to take any shit from anyone. I see what you did there. Full circle. Works every time. (laughs) You full circled it. I love it. I love it. Well, all joking aside, Matthew, thank you so much for taking a pit stop today to be with our community and to share your truth, your passion, and how much you are moving our communities forward I look forward to bringing you back on. But for now, Matthew, thank you so much for being here today. My absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.